and we will be reading verses 2 through 12, but the sermon will be upon verses 2 through 4. James reads, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. May God add a blessing to his word. You may be seated. The reason why I read verses 1 through 12 is for the first couple of Sundays, we're going to be talking about trials as we go through and travel through and examine James. And you know, when I was thinking about trials, and the ones that we face, I couldn't help but think about y'all. Not that you're a trial to me, <laughs> but that uh, we have, <laughs> but that we have all faced trials. In fact, within the last year, this body has faced its fair share of trials. I think of Allie and Jason. dealing with her medical conditions that seemingly come out of nowhere, in incapacitate her. I think of Kim and her family dealing with her father's situation and the up and down roller coaster that those situations and cared for a loved one cause. I think of my brother Ken. who's lost family members, dear to him, and Judy, who faces retirement under some stressful circumstances. I think of a dear brother of mine, and he knows who he is, who continues to deal with family dynamics that stretch him. I think of my brother Elroy, who may be facing a diagnosis that may alter his life, but we're praying for that. Darla and her shoulder, after what appeared to be a successful surgery, is still not healing to where she's without pain. Les and Jackie and their son-in-law, not to mention Les's own surgery and Jackie's own dealing with her back and her own surgery. I think of John and Kathy and dealing with John's brother, Dean, 
how it breaks his heart. And Kathy, whose son was hit by a vehicle, or riding his bike home from work. I think of Lauren Josh dealing with the issues relating to their parents. Keep them in prayer as they're visiting them. I think of Tatiana being a single mother, dealing with all those dynamics of a teenager and her housing situation, where she lives and the neighbors that she has. Keep her in prayer. I think about my brother Mike, who lost his father, who's tackling a new job that's quite demanding and continued to care for his wife and his daughter. I think of Sherry, who's never stopped being 24-7 for Caitlin's needs while dealing with her own health issues. I think of my brother Ron in dealing with his wife's medical concerns and the challenges of family and faith. I think of my own wife, who lost her father a year ago. And the loss of my own father this April. And that doesn't even account for the ones that we are unaware of. The ones you haven't made known. Trials that deal with our children. Trials that deal with our finances. Trials that deal with work-related dynamics, family issues, and the list goes on. Trials befall us all. They bring adversity. They bring affliction. They bring troubles. We have experienced them. We may be experiencing them. And we will experience them. And they could be the greatest advancers of spiritual maturity or reveal its greatest weakness. When it comes right down to it, if we're honest, none of us want them. But they are necessary. God uses them to bring about spiritual maturity in Christ, which is one of the reasons we're here. And that's what we're going to receive when we go through and study James. Is the continuous maturity in Christ. This morning we begin our journey in the epistle of James. And in the backdrop of our theme of spiritual maturity and maturing in Christ. And early on in the epistle, James addresses our faith and trials that we'll face, that will aid in us maturing in Christ. Now, when we examine this morning in light of our theme, we see six truths that aid in our spiritual maturity. Within the 12 verses that I read this morning, we will see six truths as it relates to trials in our 
spiritual maturity. Now, in an effort to be brief, um, we're only going to cover verses 2 through 4, which covers only the first three truths. And next week, we will conclude with the final three truths. So let's take a look at verse 2. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now that's a verse packed with a lot, and we need to unpack it to fully receive it. And the first truth that we see right away is that we will face trials. They will come. It's not a matter of if, but when. Nowhere in Scripture can I find a promise of a trial-free life. When Christ said He desired us to have an abundant life, He did not mean a trial-free life, but a life filled with spiritual abundance. And this spiritual abundance is made possible in part by way of trials. In fact, trials are necessary for our spiritual maturity. And you'll see why in a few minutes. Now, it's interesting that right out of the gate, James starts his epistle with an imperative, meaning something we ought to do, something we're commanded to do, as it relates to how we handle these trials that we will face. And the first area that he addresses is faith, and for good reason. Faith is the most important thing we have received in our salvation experience. It takes faith to believe. It takes faith to walk. It takes faith to trust. It takes faith to serve. Faith to allow, and faith to mature. So it's natural that James gets right to the heart of the matter by addressing the most important thing in our relationship with Christ and us facing trials in Him. And that's faith. It's faith. When we look at that first word, we need to take note of it. That first word is count, kind of an interesting word. It means to consider. It means to think. It means to take stock of. It means stop, assess, and understand. But that's not us, is it? <laughs> when a trial comes or adversity comes or a situation that makes us feel very uncomfortable, what are we looking for? Exit stage left, right? The faster we can get away with it and away from it, the better off we will be. And yet James, with this imperative, is saying, no, 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 no. Count. Assess. Stop. Understand what's going on. And the reason why we look for an the reason why we look for a way out is because instinctively. We're reactionary. We're reactionary. Sometimes we just simply respond based upon how we have lived our lives to this point. And sometimes those responses are nothing more than a way to escape versus stop 
assess and understand. In fact, when we look at this phrase in the Greek, it comes from the, the eros tense of the Greek, which reveals the attitude we are to have towards trials should be one in which we receive versus one to rid. In fact, I like what Warren Wearsby said when he wrote, Outlook determines outcome. How you perceive a situation is going to determine what you receive from it, what you gain from it. And so when we face trials, it is not something to run from, but one to consider and assess in order to face the trial with the correct and profitable attitude. And this is the imperative James sets the stage with right out of the gate. And he says that we are to count it all joy. That's an interesting term to be mixed in with the trial. Joy. That's certainly not what we would think of. We think of misery, right? right? Pain, suffering. And yet, James says, count it all joy. Now, what is joy? We've covered this several times, and I'll abbreviate the definition. As you recall, we've talked about it in the past. It means a deep-seated sense of peace and assurance that God is in control of all things, do and include your trial. God is never caught unaware of what has befalled you. And some of them, He orchestrated. And we'll see why in a few minutes. And so we're to have this joy in the midst of trials. Ephesians 1.1 In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. I love this verse. You know why? Because it promises and shows us the sovereignty of God in your life and in mine. Not as a whole, individually. He chose you. He gave you an inheritance. He pulled you out of the muck and mire of your sin that you were enjoying, by the way, and probably didn't like a two-year-old not wanting to get out of a play box. He pulled you out. Cleans you up. Imputed His righteousness to you. Because He loves you. And He's always working things in your life for your good, even at the time you may think, this is really not good for me. But as we discussed in Sunday school class, you look back and say, that's exactly what I needed to understand what God is showing me and doing in me. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Those are promises we can find in the Bible. And He's always going to work out whatever you're going through for His good, His glory, and your benefit. Now, what James does not mean by this joy that we're supposed to have in trials is that we are to enjoy the trial. For some people, trials provide a means of promoting themselves, drawing attention to themselves, becoming center stage. They use their trial as a means of being recognized versus allowing it to do its work in maturing you spiritually. 
They pride themselves on the burden and the cross that they must bear, and they make sure everyone knows it. And as a result of attempting to draw attention to themselves and the affliction that they face, they will miss the lesson that God has intended for it to do. They'll miss the work that God has intended, that trial, to produce. Now, there's something important that we need to understand about joy and the attitude of joy that we are to have. Because when we face trials, our attitude towards them either opens the door for the Lord's work to be done or it closes the door for the Lord's work to be done. You control that. If we react with the wrong attitude, the door for the trial, forever closed. But if we face it with joy in our heart, depending upon the Lord, crying out to Him, Lord, what is it that you want to do in me? That door is wide open for God to do His work. Now, I think it's important that we also assess what that word meet means. Where it says, count it all joys, brothers, when you meet trials. What does meet mean? Trials are not something that we seek out. They are something that occurs in our life uninvited. And usually at the most inopportune time. In fact, the Greek phrase here is likened to being surrounded or being encircled in a surprising way. It means you're caught off guard when they come and there's really no way of escape. Therefore, we have a choice in how we're going to deal with the trials that have now befalled us. Because there is no way of escape. If you try to run from a trial, you're only just going to be tired when you're going to eventually have to deal with it. You're going to be exhausted. Now, we were talking about this in Sunday school class. Whenever the Lord brings a trial into my life, because I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and I've received His Holy Spirit who works in me, there is this little joy down in the depths of my soul going, I wonder what the Lord's going to do with this. I'm excited to see. And if you are like me, when the trials come, the Lord seems to always come out of a direction and a place in a way I never thought He would. I always thought, okay, Lord's going to do this, 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 this. And then He comes over here and goes this, this, and this. And it amazes you. And so whenever I befall a trial, no matter how difficult, I go, Lord, what are you doing? I don't want to miss it. And so that's the joy that we're talking about. It's not happiness. I guarantee you, if my brothers and sisters who ever know me to go through a trial that I've confided in and asked for prayer for, that my countenance is not one of, hey, can you pray for me? I'm really going through a struggle. It's, I'm probably not very happy at the time. But something inside is saying, wait for it. Wait, God is going to do something you never thought possible. 
And when he does, you are going to run up and down the aisles praising the Lord. So what are some of the trials that we're going to face? It's important to note that the trials here, before we get into the list of trials that we could face, I think it's important that we understand that the verbiage that James is using in the Greek does not lend to a trial in dealing with sin. It's not lent to a trial in dealing with sin as it does in chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, because he uses a Greek word here that's not in context to that. And rightfully so. Our sin has been dealt with. Christ died on the cross. He has propitiated our sin. His shed blood covered our sins. Our sins are forever dealt with in His sacrifice on the cross. And yes, we are going to deal with sin every day. And we are called to be in obedience. We are called to walk in the strength of the Lord in dealing with it. And when we fall and we, we miss the mark, we are to confess it as sin. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so in context, he's not talking about sin. He's talking about those things that befall us. And as it relates to the type of trials that James is speaking of, we've already addressed numerous ones. And I apologize. For pausing as many times as I did. Because your family. And as the Word of God says, whatever befalls you befalls us. And that's why we're supposed to strengthen each other in prayer. Encourage one another. Be there for one another. Lift each other up. When it's about time that they go, you know what, I'm just giving up. Don't give up. It's what the body of Christ is for. But you know something about trials? As I looked at, you know, the various types of trials that you could face, it seemed that they always come to those areas in my life that need work. And as I was reviewing my life and the trials that I faced, I faced trials in my career. Because I thought my career was my own to make. It wasn't. He showed me that several times. Trials in relationships teach me how to love with a pure heart. Trials with money. Trials with security. Where do I derive that from? Trials with the uncertainty of the future. Because not only do I drive with my high beams on, I try to get more LED lights so I can illuminate as far as I can so I can understand exactly what's going to be happening. And the Lord keeps putting him on dims because he knows me. You ever have that dog that always wants to run to the edge of the leash and he walks you? You don't walk it? Kind of how I am with the Lord. <laughs> and every once in a while he gives me a tug. I'm glad it's not a shock collar. <laughs> but in most of my trials, and it might be the same with you, is the trials that you face are in the areas in which your faith needs to mature. Your dependence needs to mature. Your trust needs to mature in Him. 
And so when those trials do come into those vulnerable areas of your life, take stock. Count them. Because if you don't, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. And then they will come again. And again. And again. In fact, they may come regardless to continue to deepen you in your faith. But when they do come, and we do allow them, and we do count them, guess what they do? They produce something. Which brings us to the second truth. And what do they produce? They produce steadfastness. Now, before I begin to break down steadfastness, I must address testing. What that means. Testing is key in this verse because it lends to a process by which steadfastness comes. Now, the word used in testing here denotes a positive test intended to make one's faith genuine. You know, we test a lot of things. We test everything out to make sure that whatever we did to it or whatever we we had to modify to it or whatever that we addressed is going to take. And it's no different than our faith. In order to prove something is true or present, we must test it. And our faith requires testing to ensure it's only not only genuine, but that it's being refined. That it's genuine and being refined. As it relates to being genuine, trials will either call us to God or they will call you to what is familiar in your past. Where you run to when trials come. And the difference between the two is faith. It's your faith. Take, for example, the Israelites in the desert. When trials came, they desired what was familiar. They wanted to go back to enslavement in Egypt where they were taken care of. They didn't hold to the promise that God was showing them or is going to show them. They didn't reach for the promises of God. They reached for what was familiar. They didn't place their faith in God. They placed their faith in what was familiar. We talked about that in Sunday school class this morning. Sometimes we can misplace our faith. And so in a trial, to be tested as genuine, we must place our faith in what God is showing us, not what's familiar. Not what's going to give you immediate rest and comfort in your perspective. The apostles too were admonished several times by Jesus about their lack of faith or ye of little faith. Now we tend to conclude that Jesus was being frustrated with them because it's like every time he turned around, like ye of little faith. But in reality, what he was doing is he was pointing them continuously to live by faith and not by way of trying to understand the situation through your own eyes. To place their faith on him and what he was doing. Not trying to understand it. We too must be tested to see if we return to what is familiar versus reaching forward to what God is calling us to. 
It would have been real easy a year ago to say, hmm, not ready, sorry guys. But I don't believe that's the direction God was calling me to. And so, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to take this step of faith. I'm going to take a faith-filled risk. And I'm going to see if you're in it. Trials will test the genuineness of your faith because it makes you choose. It makes you choose. It puts you right in the crossroads between choosing the Lord or not choosing the Lord. Choosing to trust or not to trust. Choosing to believe or choose to doubt. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, very well-known verse. We all know this, I hope. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and do not lean under thy own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Just rest in that verse when you are being tested in your faith. They not only are to be tested for genuineness, but they're also to be refined. 1 Peter 6, if you remember this verse, we covered it a couple, well, I don't know when we did, but it was in the last year as we walked through Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though what is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Many believe James was one of the first epistles written. I can't think of a better verse to augment what we're studying here this morning than what Peter just said. We have to be refined. Each time a trial befalls us, it brings to the top that slag and impurities that exist in our faith. Impurities like doubt. Impurities like lack of trust. Impurities like lack of faith. You know, when we were in uh, Montana, I can't remember the town that we were in years ago. It was an old mining town. And there's this black dust, just piles of it. And I asked my wife, I said, what is all that black? Just piles and piles and piles. It looks like asphalt, but it's not. And she goes, that's all the slag that came off of the refining process when they were making iron ore. And I can't imagine how tall our piles will be from the refining process that the Lord will take us through in our faith. And so our faith needs to be tested. It needs to be tested to see if it's genuine. It needs to be refined so it's pure. And when it does, it'll produce steadfastness. Now, steadfastness means consistency and endurance in your faith, which is essential in the life of a believer. Without endurance, we would be unable to finish the race that we have been called to run. You know, when I think of endurance in faith, I think of a friend of mine that I met while I was at the Senior NCO Academy Sergeant Major Martell, unique individual. Sergeant Major is the highest rank in the Army, and he was a Ranger his entire career. Some people go into the Ranger Battalion, and they only four, maybe five to six years, but he had 
lasted his entire career, and now as a sergeant major, he was going over to Europe to be a part of the Big Red One Army and be the sergeant major of the Big Red One, as they would call it. And one day, as we're sitting there, fascinated by Ranger, as some of us were able to um, go to the Ranger School, although I never did, and I asked him all kinds of questions about the Ranger course, and he said, because the Ranger course is one of the toughest courses that you can ever go to within the U.S. Army. And when I asked him about the course, he said it was the most brutal 23 weeks of his life where he was robbed of sleep, didn't get much food, and during the course of his time in that selection course, he lost 20 pounds. And they had to go through various phases of that course. But he said this, he said he took it farther than he ever thought possible that he would ever go in life and gave him a new perspective on what he could and could not endure on the battlefield and life. That's the purpose of the whole thing, is to take you beyond what you think you're able to do, and then some. And he said, I, was, I remember him saying, I was, I was so impressed by what the human condition can accomplish when tested. His experience of enduring under great strain and moving forward, never stopping, and finishing well prepared him for all of the challenges of life and combat. You know, when I picture endurance, this is what I think of. When I think of enduring faith, it's a faith that endures under great hardships, but it never stops. You keep moving. You keep going. You keep trusting. You keep praying. You keep asking the Lord to give you the strength under the weight of this trial so that you would endure. So that you can press on. So that you can take the full load moving forward. And you know what? It's Jesus who's really carrying it. For His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He's right there. Give me that, Tim. Give me that, Ken. Give me that, Henry. Give me that, Jackie. I'll carry it for you, and we'll get through this by my power, not yours. But here's the key. We got to let it happen. We got to let them carry it. We got to trust in Him to carry us through it. And why? Because it perfects. It perfects us in Christ. Verse 4 Unless steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. As important it is to endure and be steadfast, we must allow it to have its full effect. Let used here means more than just permission, but a command as to not disrupt the chain of intended events that will produce a result. Now, this is hard. This is difficult. You know, we can all initially face a trial and say, you know, Lord, I'm just going to trust in you. But as that trial lingers on over time, continuously, another month, Another year, some, many years, we can lose hope. And this is why James is saying what he's saying. Let it. 
let it do its work. God is working. Don't give up. Because in a trial, we can't see beyond our immediate circumstances. How can we? But we must endure. We must allow Him to finish what He started. You know, when I think about this, I think of Paul Spoonheim, the pastor out in Ritchie, Montana, who was recently diagnosed for the third time cancer. And when I spoke to him a few weeks ago as the pastors met from the eastern and western parts of North Dakota and Sydney, Montana, I was impressed by his story. In fact, when he got the diagnosis for the third time, he says, no, not again. And so not only did the district pray, but everybody was praying, and he was praying and just crying out to God for strength to endure yet another trial with cancer. And the doctors told him, that's the third strike. Prepare yourself. This one's going to take your life. So he went home. He said, no. I'm going to pray to the God who created me. I'm going to pray to the God who sustains me. I'm going to pray to the God who can heal me. And prayers went out. And he went back in for his checkup. And they found no trace of cancer. None. He endured. He wouldn't give up. He persevered. And even if it took his life, he was going to allow that trial to purify who he is in Christ. And the joy in his testimony is what grabbed me. Lord, may I be that strong in the face of such a trial. Now, they are continuing to treat him to ensure that it is truly in remission. But you know what? Paul couldn't escape his trial. He couldn't quicken it to a quick resolution. He couldn't end it under his own power, like, okay, we're done here. He couldn't do that. Paul was surrounded. And all he could do is simply trust and endure. To simply be carried by Christ through his situation. And in all of it, there was joy. I couldn't help but think of Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is always the example of how we are to respond to life. And he went to the cross for you and me with joy. Because he knew the work he was going to do. He knew he was going to redeem you and me. There are trials. We will face them in our lives. We will face even more tomorrow. 
And James begins his letter addressing our faith and how trials produce and refine it. This morning we looked at three truths as it relates to trials. Next week we'll cover the remaining three. And it's my hope that as we walk through James and we understand what he is admonishing us to do, that if when we face a trial, or maybe you're in one right now, that you would just completely trust in Him and allow it to do its work. He will strengthen you. He will keep you. He will raise you with His righteous right hand. That was a verse that was given to me in the midst of a very deep trial. Isaiah 41.10. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Father, that no matter how much it challenges us, you're right there to strengthen us to endure it. Oh, Lord, may we come before your altar, before your throne of grace at all times, knowing that you are the source of our strength. And no matter what trial we face, Father, that you will give us the strength to endure it and that you will use it to perfect us in you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.